in a world where Mad Lab Theater. What are you doing? Making the Mad Lab ad for Cinema Wheeler Tay. Oh, here's my other one. Susan thought it was just another day, and then she met Mad Lab. Why don't you just say that Mad Lab is the new works theater in downtown Columbus, featuring hilarious comedies, powerful dramas, improv with FFN, the annual Young Writers Festival, and the longest running shorts festival in central Ohio, Theater Roulette. That sounds pretty awesome, especially when I do it over the Star Wars theme. Star Wars is always a good choice. Mad Lab, the original. For more information, follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter, or visit us at madlab.net. Another episode of Cinema Wheeler Tay. It's Sean, Tony, and Scott. Yes, yet again. Yes, hello. <laughs> hello, darling. <laughs> We're all excited here at Cinema Wheeler Tay, and uh, we have, as usual, a uh, our a first-time guest uh, and, and a very special guest. Uh, she's a local actress of of some renown. <laughs> yes, a very funny lady. Uh, a very funny lady, uh, Emily Turner, ladies and gentlemen. Hello. Hi. A very stylish lady. <laughs> And we brought her on today to talk about uh, a very, 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 very special movie to one particular member of it's our... A very uh, stylish movie. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's a very it stylish is. movie. Uh, I'd say it's special. I, I think this is a unique episode. Uh, and it, of course, it's uh, Breakfast at Tiffany's from 1961. Uh, clearly, I was talking about myself. This was a big, eye-opening, life-altering movie. No. <laughs> I like the movie, but I will uh, defer to Tony on this one. Oh, this is one of my all-time favorite movies, as you can all imagine, being that I'm an Audrey Hepburn fan, mm -hmm. and right behind Emily is a picture about as tall as myself, <laughs> hanging on my wall of Audrey Hepburn from Breakfast at Tiffany's, uh, but this movie's very, very special to me, uh, so I'm so excited that we decided to cover it this week, um, at a very appropriate time, being that AMC theaters are re-releasing Breakfast at Tiffany's. Um, I know, right around my birthday, which yes. is even more perfect. It's the 20th anniversary this year. This is uh, 2016, because it came out in 1960. No, not the 25th anniversary. I was anniversary. just going to say 20th. The... <laughs> <laughs> wow, we went to the Yeah, time. come on. <laughs> Come on, you know I remember in, in the eighties when Breakfast at Tiffany was all the sensation. Nineteen eighty-one. Well, didn't John Hughes direct this? This was a great. This was a great flick. Molly Ringwald was great. Was it Richard Dreyfuss in it? Yeah, yeah, he was. He was Richard Dreyfuss was in it. Uh, he was the Martin Balsam character, uh, and uh, it was, of course, was Judd Nelson was George Papar's character. <laughs> This was, this was a wonderful production. No, it was uh, the 55th anniversary gotcha. of Breakfast at Tiffany's. Math is not my strong point, <laughs> listeners. He's uh, more of a right-minded, <laughs> right-brained. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, throw numbers at me, I get confused. But no, this is a, a classic movie. Uh, mm -hmm. Very much a Kennedy-era film in a lot of ways. Like, <laughs> now you see the appeal. <laughs> to me. 
This movie is um. <laughs> What's well, it's only a year into the Kennedy era. <laughs> hey, they, they they swung through 100. percent You know, it was a, it was a big. Actually, you think you're president sure, 61? I'm sure that's exactly what Truman Capote was going for. Yes. <laughs> right, right in there. This is drunk history for the podcast. <laughs> No, but I mean, this is the era that voted Kennedy in, so yes. I think, you know, the styles are already... I mean, you see Jackie Kennedy all over the place I know. in Manhattan in this movie. Absolutely. Stylish. I see my former self mm-hmm. yeah. in another life all over the streets yeah. of Manhattan in this movie, but um, no, it's, ju- it's just phenomenal in every way, shape, and form, and it's such an influential movie for fashion, for film, um, even music, Henry Mancini's mm-hmm. score. This... It really, in, in many ways, in my opinion, is kind of a revolutionary film because it really took us out of the 50s and introduced this new decade of the 60s. This movie's so fresh. This cinematography is very um, kind of glossy and soft. Yes. And, and everything about it is just soft, whereas the 50s colors were a little bit more vibrant. Um Film, you know, Technicolor was so bright, mm-hmm. and this just sort of is a nice ease into the coolness of, of the 60s. Yeah, and the 60s would become increasingly more uh, overtly radical in the way that it approached oh, filmmaking yeah. by the end of the decade. Mm-hmm. So it's almost like Breakfast at Tiffany's is right at the, the you know, mm-hmm. at the change, at the vanguard of that. When it, was, it was the perfect timing for it, because there are some elements that are a little bit more 50s or old-fashioned, but then there's a little bit of progressive storylines and character plots that I think 1961 was the perfect year for this movie to come out. I think if it came out earlier in the 50s, it would have been maybe questionable. People may mm-hmm. not have received it as well. I think Audrey would have maybe gotten some flack because, you know, it went against her image. Right. You know, and I think if it came out in the later era in the 60s where things were a little bit... Well, we're very different, actually. I don't. I think it would have been kind of classified as old-fashioned. Maybe stuffy, yeah, yeah. because people were more free. Yeah. Um, or free love. Exactly. exactly. <laughs> no, you're exactly right. So I think this really, this was done, this, every, the timing was right. Mm-hmm. The timing on this was right. Mm-hmm. It was. I mean, they, they nailed it right out of the park. I mean, like, you know, Kennedy, like Scott had mentioned, had just been elected. I mean, he was serving his first year in, in office. And uh, this kind of sets the tone for, like, that... The optimistic, promising tone, even though it's kind of a darker storyline yeah. in a lot of yeah, ways. But I mean, I think it kind of shows that like society starting to progress in a lot of all the mores that people used to hold on to are starting to kind of, especially in urban areas, are starting to dissipate. I mean, think about one of the, the major themes in this movie is an independent woman taking care of herself. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That is so far di- far fetched from anything we've seen in the fifties. Sometimes you don't even see that now. <laughs> yeah. 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 So I mean, yeah. you know, you have this young, right. very stylish, you know, um, charismatic, quirky protagonist female mm-hmm. taking care of herself in, in a big city like New York City. I mean that's that's a big job. And yeah. she's very unapologetic about herself and I love that. Yes. Um you know, I think if you've read the book or you watch the movie now, you realize what she her job <laughs> really is. Fifty dollars, um, yeah. yeah. <laughs> but she's just like, this is what I do, and yeah. There's a lot of controversy over that. Yeah, isn't it? yeah. That some people don't think that she is a call girl. 
Mm-hmm. I don't she know. Just plays it. Well, you know, and that's one of the things I, I love and I really respect and appreciate that Blake Edwards did when he directed this is that he didn't pay too much attention to that. Mm-hmm. It was always underlined, um, even with Paul. You know, Paul was right. a, a booty oh, yeah. boy, basically mm-hmm. booty call or, you know, kind of, um, I don't know what the terms for them would be, but, <laughs> but we all know what he did. Yeah. Um, but it was, it was always just there. You didn't have to say it. Mm-hmm. It was just understood. And I think that that was really brilliant, especially for this time period where things, you had half of America who was very progressive and forward thinking and open minded and open to something like this. Mm-hmm. And then you had the other half of America who was, you know, the Eisenhower part that's old fashioned and um, not really in tune. And I'm glad that's changed. <laughs> 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 no, I'm just kidding. Uh, I'm just kidding. But um, I was kind of curious with you guys. Like, how did you, because I know this is a big, uh, probably a, like a life-altering experience for you when you saw this. Like, what was your first exposure to this movie? Was this the movie that made you an Audrey fan? I was actually an Audrey fan before this. One of my first Audrey Hepburn movies that I ever saw in life was Sabrina. Yeah. The main thing for my cat. <laughs> um, and I used to watch... Um, Turner classic movies with my dad growing up, and I never saw Breakfast at Tiffany's. I had seen mostly black and white things like mm-hmm. Roman Holiday, Sabrina, um, Mac Our Lady, of course. And I didn't see Breakfast at Tiffany's until I was in high school, which I think was the appropriate age for me to really resonate with it and, and appreciate it for what it was and, and get what I got out of it. And I was actually a senior in high school, which is even better. Because I was at 17, 18, right. and I've always been incredibly independent as a person. Um, you know, I've had a job since I was 14. I've always been, take, you know, taking care of myself. If I wanted something, I bought it. Mm-hmm. And so when I saw Audrey Hepburn, who was already my idol, being this character, a very stylish and, and beautiful and, and really appealing character to a young girl, you know, at least on the, on the surface, um, I just was like, oh my gosh, you know, this is... I love it, you yeah. know, and I, and I mean, more so than, um, than the, the prostitute, you know, occupation that she had, I think one of the things that a lot of young women enjoy about the film and relate to about the film is that Holly Golightly is very innocent, and she's, she's searching for herself, and she's trying to figure out, you know, who she is and what she wants, and she has a pretty good idea of what she doesn't want, you know, because she's left those things behind her. And she's she's independent, um, trying to take care of herself in the best way that she knows how. But she's very naive, and she still has a lot to learn. Mm-hmm. And I think so many young women, especially when you're 18, senior year in high school, you go through that, you know, when you first leave home. You have that. You feel like you're on your own. Well, you are on your own in some <laughs> ways. But, you know, I, I think it's... It's a, a very universal kind of feeling mm-hmm. to be independent and taking care of yourself. And, and as a woman, it's something that's really empowering. So I found the character to be really empowering, um, despite what she did uh, to earn her living. You know, I looked at some of the other aspects about her. And then, of course, in the end, when she kind of learns that she's really in her, she's in her own way. Right. Yeah. And I think that that's something... I know I can relate to in my life. And Emily, was it a similar experience for you when you uh, first 
came across this yeah, movie? Yeah, I so I saw it um, when I was at Ohio State as a student. It was on the Buckeye Movie Channel. Nice. <laughs> so I watched the Buckeye. Yeah. <laughs> and they would do this thing where they, you know, if you turned it on, you just hoped you liked the movie because that's what they were going to show for the next like fifty hours. <laughs> so, so I happened to be um, when it was Life Is Beautiful. I had a really I cried a lot. That was a rough couple days. Yeah. yeah. That's a movie with that Why guy. Am I so What's his name? It's yes. Italian. Yes. Isn't that the yeah. Italian yeah. movie? Yeah. Well, it's a guy he, at the Oscars, he like walked on top of the chair. I can't think of his name. Anyway. I know it's <laughs> <laughs> um, But uh, then they, they had Breakfast at Tiffany's on, and I watched it. And I was, I remember sort of being distracted, and you know, I was trying to study and do things like that. But, um, but I enjoyed it. And then I saw it um, about seven years ago at the Drexel uh, with two of my girlfriends um, for a Valentine's Day special showing. Valentine's Day! <laughs> yeah, yes, Valentine's Day. And <laughs> I loved it. I mean, I just really absorbed what it was, and mm-hmm. I love her character so much more. And I had read the book in between those two yeah. um, uh, showings, and um, I think it's kind of brilliant that he they don't come out and yeah. say in the movie... Um, they let you decide, is she like a companion? Is she, mm-hmm. is she really a prostitute? But that's not really what it's about as much as just her journey um, yeah. to, to see that um, you, she can take care of herself. You know, mm-hmm. I mean, she doesn't have to keep looking for this rich guy. Yeah. Um, and she can look for love. Cause, and yeah. and she can even be herself. Yes. Instead, you know, we have the Wu Lemay, and she, now she's changed her name. Yes. She's, she's, she has this identity crisis, mm-hmm. and after she meets Paul, I think she realizes it's okay for her to be who she is. Exactly. Because he accepts her, and he yeah. helps her see that. Um, she doesn't have anyone yeah. like that in her life. No. Um, she's a different uh, character for everyone she's with. Mm-hmm. And, yes. and with Paul, I think she just starts out right away like, oh, I, I yeah. have a good feeling about you. You remind me a yeah. little of my brother. And who I think, I'm not really sure if that's true, but she dismisses her brother so much. Yeah. And uh, yeah, she's herself. And I love yeah. that. And, and, and I think that's partly why, exactly why she feels so comfortable um, with Paul is because I think she does miss her brother so much because mm-hmm. a part of her, I think, misses who she is. Because she's yeah. so used to masking it, ninety, you know, ninety nine percent of the time that she met this guy, she who who is in some ways a lot like her. She quickly right. met, like when because she saw Patricia O'Neill's character leave the room, and very quickly she was in tune with what's going on uh-huh. in this world, <laughs> and and she was like, okay, like he's one, like we're one and the same. Mm-hmm. And, you know, that's when she crawls in and she kind of teases him a little bit, and then he gets a little upset. She goes, no, no, I'm just trying to say I understand. Right. And I always thought that was a really nice scene. That's probably one of it my is. favorite scenes. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And um, and, t- and pushing the boundaries too. I mean, you have you can obviously Papar, see what he does. <laughs> yes, he doesn't have a shirt on. He's lying in bed, and they mm-hmm. definitely give you the assumption that he's not wearing clothes. Yes, underneath. Um, and then she's just in a bathrobe. And then after they have that nice conversation, she gets in bed with him. I mean, mm-hmm. that's really groundbreaking stuff in 1961. It is. Mm-hmm. So, but 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 Blake Edwards did it in such a elegant way mm-hmm. that you just totally overlook that, and you're just like, oh, this is just two people hanging out. And when I watched it this week, um, which it was in pieces, I <laughs> I remember watching that part and thinking, um, she probably doesn't feel close to a man that way because mm-hmm. they always want something from her. Yeah. Um, so yeah, it's really beautiful. Yeah, he yeah. just said he just let her lay on him and. You know, you see him smoking yeah. and how she's going, you know. And I just think it's very beautiful, yeah. Mm-hmm. They, I think they needed each other. And, mm-hmm. yeah. yeah. 
Well, you were mentioning earlier about all the identities and, you know, how she fluctuates. And I have this theory. It's probably my own personal fan fiction, but (laughs) on the Beverly Hillbillies, we never saw the mom, right? And who's her ex-husband in this movie? She's a (laughs) clampet. She's a a clampet. I guess that could be. Yeah. And I just wanted Granny and Jethro and all those guys that come out here. Ha! LMA, what are you doing in this big setup? And a year later, they're in Beverly Hills, so everything works out for mm-hmm. that family after the breakup and the split. Thanks to Uwame. Yeah, that's right. She's she's a clampet. Yeah. <laughs> that's who she really is. Uwame Barnes. True. Yeah. Oh, any that is the weirdest. Buddy, yeah. picturing Buddy Epson and Audrey Hepburn as a married strange. couple it is. is the I really strangest. like him in his He's, role, but it's. Yeah, I think that if that was deliberate, it worked really well because you're like, she must have been a totally different person, you know? Yeah. To be. <laughs> He's an amazing character actor, though. I love Buddy yeah, Epson. And this movie's populated mm-hmm. with so many great character mm-hmm. actors. Uh, Patricia Neal is one of my uh, favorite actresses. I love her. <laughs> I love her. I do, too. She was in The Day of the Earth Stood Still, A Face in the Crowd, which is a movie with Andy Griffith, which I highly recommend people see. She's excellent in that. And... Uh, just, just I think HUD with Paul Newman. Mm-hmm. I think she was in that and She's in this. One of those actresses that I, I always gets overlooked, and people right. don't even know who she is. But she's fantastic. She's just one of those actresses that anything she touches, she's great at. She's so perfect in this yeah. movie. Oh, I love when she says, "I am a very stylish girl." Mm-hmm. Yes. She's just. And she's like, you're entitled uh, to a week's vacation. I know. Like, she you is. know that she is, you know, a cheater. <laughs> and not the, of the best character, but you're just like, oh, I'm digging in this. Know, she is a very stylish And I love at the end of that scene, too, when she says, well, hope, what he says to her, um, try and get one my size next time, and then you won't even have to take up I the know. Oh. oh, that is mm-hmm. like, high five for Paul. Yeah. <laughs> Paul who? deep cut, Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> You know, when I first saw this movie, uh, I remember uh, George Papard's performance really bothered me. I kind of, kind of thought he was flat and kind of... But I watched it this time, I thought, mm-hmm. okay, he's better than I thought. He's just understated. No, I agree. Yeah. Now I really he's, like it. He's a very good actor. He, he understates the role pretty well. Yeah. And uh, and again, another interesting six degrees separation is he'll eventually head the A-team. So he's the one degree <laughs> separation between Audrey Hepburn and Mr. T. That exists, people, oh, awesome. in this world. <laughs> This exists. <laughs> What's he known for more than 18, probably? Well, I'm sure there are a lot of people who think his... I don't know. Rick's at Tiffany's is so huge. I mean... Yeah. Hey, yeah. don't discount the 18's popularity. <laughs> Liam Neeson inherited that role, so that's it's influential. <laughs> <laughs> and now Liam Neeson is just... known for calling people saying, if you have I my time... <laughs> I just love the fact that there's a one degree separation to big time between Audrey Hepburn and Mr. T. And those are mm-hmm. vastly now, different worlds. Now, here's what we have to do. Audience, what? friends, friends that are listening, please. I'm very serious when I say this. Help me find a six degree separation between Audrey Hepburn and Macho Man Randy Savage. Well, you found it. You, 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 George Papard worked with Mr. T. Mr. T certainly worked with the Macho Man and the WWF. I guarantee you that happened at some point. So, boom, there you go. George Papard <laughs> links Audrey Hepburn to- to pro to wrestling. Well, if you just, just do it movies, you just have to find someone that was in Spider-Man. Yeah. 
Yeah. There you go. So William Defoe, I'm sure, is a link there somehow. Somehow, yeah, yeah. yeah he probably is somehow. <laughs> and then there's Martin Balsam, who's a great actor. He was in Psycho. Mm-hmm. He played the detective in Psycho, who's mm-hmm. who's going mm-hmm. after Norman Bates. He's a fantastic actor. I've always loved him. He was good in this too. Yes, yeah, he was. Yeah, he was. He was baby. He kept saying baby yes, constantly. I know. And I don't what think was I that can... girl's? What was the girl that he was talking to? She had a funny name. Irving. Irving. <laughs> <laughs> Irving. <laughs> I know. I really love him. I love, uh, and I could not throw a party that successful even if I tried. And she's like, oh, who knows where these people come I think from. We should try. <laughs> it has always been like my dream to have a party of that stature. Yeah. Yeah. We should try and throw a party just like that. And Cram everybody into one space please. and have yeah. them. Sabrina right. can, you know, right. run around and do things. I'll put my phone in that trunk over there. Okay. The party scene beyond amazing. Mm-hmm. Just it's just so much fun. <laughs> and just the little quirks between the different characters that we see. And, you know, I especially love um, the laughing lady in the mirror. First yes. she's laughing, and then when we go back to her a couple minutes later, she's, like, crying. Yeah. We've all, we all know a girl drunk like that, you know? <laughs> yeah. And then I love the couple that's arguing, and he's got the I eye know. patch on. Yeah, and then he yeah. And then all of a sudden he lifts it up and he's like, he didn't even need the eye patch. <laughs> I love Mag. Meg. I'm Mag Wildwood from Wildwood, Arkansas. That's hill country. <laughs> Meg, you're being such a boy. I know, that's a great thing to use on someone. Like, Because I watched that scene over again to see what made her a bore, and it's just that she's an angry drunk. <laughs> Tim! I know, yeah, they let her fall down. Legit yeah, falls fall. down. <laughs> and then they just keep going. Everybody's like, okay. <laughs> Reinforcements! <laughs> I think this is the, the movie, too, where Audrey... I, I love Audrey Hepburn, and even though Tony talks. I actually am a big Audrey Hepburn fan myself. Like, she might be one of my favorite actors, actresses yeah. from that, especially from that era. But This partnered with the Blueberry Party yeah. very happy. I know. Um, but I think this is a, a big switch-off for her. Like, prior to this, she was kind of typecast as kind of, like, the polite... You know, yeah, that's true. Young good, and romantically. Yeah. But I think this is where she moved from, like, the 50s starlet to a character actress. Because mm-hmm. if you look at all of her work after Breakfast of Tiffany's, like My Fair Lady and uh, yeah. um, the movie she made with Albert Finney. Two for the Road. Two for the Road. <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah. It's one of my favorite Dr. <laughs> yeah. yeah, and uh, Wait Until Dark. I mean, she was taking yeah, on a lot of character roles after that. Peter oh, yeah. yeah. I love that one. <laughs> So this is where she really became an actress. Like I think, like like this big character actress that could do all these quirky, offbeat performances. Mm-hmm. And she really held her own. Yes, she did. Movie. I think she proved to people, yeah, that she was versatile and that she was more than just you know a pretty face. Or mm-hmm. I was reading about how um, Truman Capote, when he wrote it, thought of more of like a Jane Russell, who I love, Marilyn Monroe type. So I can see why he didn't like that casting, but can you imagine? It wouldn't have been nearly as good because they had their own appeal, but they definitely focused on the sex appeal. And I think, yeah, she, yeah. She, yeah, she was more. She of could make it more the fun of you not ever being overtly talked about what she actually does. Yeah, I think it's more fun that way because then she can be more. You, you don't focus so much on what she does. It, right, you focus more on who she is. Right. Yeah, and, uh, it's actually great casting that way. Yeah, and she, it's. You know the eccentric behavior, and yeah. I mean, she's more. I think she's more like an escort. She just hangs out with people because yeah, even yeah. like that, she gets paid just to 
be an informant, basically. Yeah, I know. I love that. Every Thursday. <laughs> 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 New Orleans. <laughs> My goodness, I bet it hasn't snowed there in ages. <laughs> Where so, does he come up with this? <laughs> she's so awesomely naive about it. Yeah. But it's, yeah. uh, yeah, she's... <laughs> She's kind of naive. She just kind of goes through life. She doesn't really care. She's like, you yeah. know, um, if she, she just does on things on a whim. Mm-hmm. I guess that's the whole point of the movie is that she wants to. She's afraid uh, to be tied down. Although, right. I don't really know. Like now, that message nowadays is like probably not as. You know, to be in love doesn't mean to be tied down. Right. <laughs> yeah. But then, at that time period, yeah, I think exactly that did. was kind of yeah. a radical yeah. idea. Yeah. And then she wouldn't yeah. eventually yeah. have to be a mom and a housewife. Right. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. that's. Uh, yeah. And she came from a... Obviously, she was married to that that guy. Was <laughs> Which is still sort of weird. Even when he tells Doc, the story. I'm Doc, like, go lightly. Doc, I really like you, but this is weird. <laughs> <laughs> I know. It's weird that his last name's Go Lightly. Go Lightly. Does not look like a Go Lightly to me. He looks like a clampet. He's a clampet. Let's face it. If it's her, his name would be like. (laughs) Don't don't go go hard. It's more like a. Hard as it is, easy does it. Oh no! Yeah, Holly Clampett wouldn't work as well. It doesn't roll off the tongue as, as yeah. frequently. Um, what was I going to say? Uh, yeah, and, and kind of talking more about her eccentric behavior and just fly by the seat of the pants. I'm going to take the day as it comes. I don't even want, know what day it is kind of thing. Right. The scene where we first really meet Paul, and he's in her apartment when he mm-hmm. knocks on her door, and then he comes into her apartment, and she realizes it's Thursday, so she has to get ready to go to Sing Sing. Yeah. And just watching her get ready and talk about her experiences, and it's just, that was a fantastic way to even introduce us as the audience into who Holly was. You know, yes. the, the shoes are in this strange basket. Yeah, one under the bed, one in the bed. a mischievous cat. Mm-hmm. That's not really her. You know, she talks yes. about how he comes and goes, we belong to each other. Or, yeah. you know. We don't even belong to each yeah. other. Yeah. And she's just going on and on. And I love the scene where she's brushing her teeth and she's like, I've got to do something about the that I love. You know, and then she's putting mm-hmm. on her makeup and um, all of a sudden she comes out and she's just like, how do I look? And fantastic. Yes. She looks gorgeous. Don't you love her apartment? And I do. I feel like I, I'm older now than when I watched it the first time. And the first time I thought, oh, that's quirky. Like, she doesn't have money for anything. And now I'm like, everything she has is amazing. <laughs> and, I want a bathtub. So yeah, fun. I know. And going into her clothes even, like, you you get the feeling that everything she has is nice. She doesn't have a lot of it. But every piece is stylish. And mm-hmm. you could wear all that stuff now. I mean, I would. I do. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Everything, every outfit she wears mm-hmm. in that is still stylish today. Yes. The only thing I think would be slightly dated are the scenes where um, they're walking around New York City, and she's got the full oh. box hat and the gloves. Yeah. That's very early 60s, but aside yes. from that, I mean... Yep. Well, I think the costume uh, design in this movie is so iconic and influential, though. I mean, like, there's so many Guess posters. Who it was, it was uh, Edith Head, wasn't yeah. it? <laughs> Edith Head once again strikes on That's his bike. That's why you can wear everything from yeah. Alfred Hitchcock movies, too. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Yes. The Dimanche, the little black dress. I mean, this movie, Holly Golightly created the little black dress in yeah, its fashion. Agreed. I mean, that is so. Um, Linked to Holly Go Lightly, it's mm-hmm. one and the same. I mean, they're synonymous. A little black dress, Holly Go Lightly. Yeah. 
so many women worship Audrey from this movie. Like, you see those posters everywhere. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's almost as iconic as, you know, like Bob Marley posters. You know what I mean? Like, they're just everywhere. You, you see them all over the place. And what do you think it is about that character that really resonates more than others? With I think it's the independence. And I think mm-hmm. it's very empowering for a woman to feel and to know that she's fully capable of taking care of herself. Um, not just a man, not just without the help of a man, but even without the help of her parents or a roommate or anyone else for that matter. Um, she was also tremendously stylish from a fashion and beauty standpoint. Yes. I mean, that beehive, please, anyone, if you know how to do that beehive, <laughs> please yeah. connect with me. It's my dream. <laughs> I want to have this hair. Um, and the makeup, even just the soft, glossy, mm-hmm. natural. Um, Makeup, which again is so um, contradictory to what we're normally used to seeing in the 50s, which was bright, bold. Um, mm-hmm. Now we have just a, oh, I just got out of bed and I'm just going right. to pinch my cheeks and put a little bit of, you know, natural lip color on. Um, I think it's just the easiness of Holly Golightly. So many women, I think, would love to be that way or to have the opportunity to be that way, but... Um, for some reason, women, uh, a lot of women, and my, I'm talking mostly about myself from my own experience, it's hard to let yourself relax. It's hard to to, to disconnect from structure because you're just so used to, to going, going, going. If you're not taking care of, you know, someone else or something else, it's you're right. doing something for a, a job or a volunteer work or, you know, women are just, they seem to be, as a, as a species, so involved with so many other people doing things for other people mm-hmm. that um, they don't, they tend to kind of forget about themselves. And Holly Golightly was all about herself. Not yeah. in a self-absorbed way. No, but she was just yeah. herself. She really didn't have anyone, but not necessarily in a sad way and more yeah. of a, well, I haven't quite found where I belong yet, you know, and then I'll mm-hmm. surround myself with those people. And she was even, she was around people a lot, but she was just, always her yeah and I really like that and there you're right I think there's almost a guilt that comes with um being yourself to the point that you would put yourself first I mean I find that mm-hmm. in my life Me but too. she like her priority was you know no I'm gonna be who I am and find out where that puts me yeah so and I'm just gonna have fun with the people that come along on the yeah way. you know she doesn't have with the exception of Paul once we meet him she doesn't really have a steady friend Right. You know, she just, she strikes me as someone who just is completely independent and on her own and okay with that. Mm-hmm. And for some people, it's really solid, you know, solitude is a scary thing. I mean, think about Emily, how many, how many girlfriends that we have that they need someone to go to the bathroom with. Yes. You know, and I'm not saying that that's a <laughs> right, bad thing, right. you know, um, so I don't want to offend. I'm just using that as an example where I always have identified more on the Holly side where I've been really independent and I've always been kind of a loner, mm-hmm. not in a negative or sad way. I've just really been strong. I've always had a strong sense of who I was and what I liked, um, and I didn't let popular views skew that. Um, and I think especially when you're young, you know, high school, college age, which is which seems to be a trend among a lot of girls that like Holly Golightly. You see her poster in college dorms, yes. high school. Mm-hmm. I mean, I've had this, that poster since high school. And a very, <laughs> very special friend of mine gave it to me um, who's no longer with us. So I will have that thing until it yeah. goes away. Um, but uh, so, and I think a lot of that with the young girls is just that, that longing of kind of wanting 
to be that way in mm -hmm. some respects, but you just have too many obligations or responsibilities. So it's a fun fantasy world that we can all go into and say, I want to be Holly Golightly in 1961 right. in New York. And even with the, I mean, it sounds superficial to go back to the fashion, but... <laughs> no, it doesn't. <laughs> okay, good. Um, so she wasn't following trends. Now, mm -hmm. the black, you know, little mm -hmm. black dress and that whole look at the beginning scene at, at Tiffany's yeah. is iconic we could all wear that out to anything fancy but then I think it was kind of a big deal because like you mentioned kind of the harshness of the 50s mm -hmm. and then moving into like the Jackie Kennedy who sort of was just softer yes. and I, I mean I would kind of think it started with with Audrey absolutely yeah I think I Jackie O and Audrey Hepburn are two of my favorite women and a, a big chunk of that is because of who they were as women mm -hmm. and the things that they've gone through um, and the impact they've had, but also the fashion. I mean, I just, because I think, I think fashion, um, not only is in, a, in an art form, in my opinion, but it is so representative of who we are as people. Um, to me, anyway, clothes are more than just clothes. And this could be the theater nerd me talking, you know. <laughs> but no, costuming is so mm -hmm. relevant to how a person carries themselves. I mean, I know on days when I'm looking good. I yeah. feel good, and I interact. I have good interactions with people mm -hmm. because that confidence that I have in myself is coming out. Um, but you also can learn a lot of, about someone by how they're dressed. Like someone who's very preppy, for example, <laughs> you probably have a. And I'm not. I could be stereotyping here, and I don't mean to offend or or do such. But a lot of times when you have very preppy natured people and how they dress, they kind of behave that same way too, and they tend to be more conservative minded. <laughs> right. um, they're a little old-fashioned, they're very traditional, and those are great things. Mm -hmm. But it, you can instantly see that from how they're, how they're dressed and what they, right. how they present themselves on the exterior. Um, and I think fashion is a huge part of that. Um, and certainly in this movie, it says so much about her character. It, all of her clothes are very simple. Yes. She just dresses them up with jewelry, gloves, and, mm -hmm. you know, tiaras. But it's very simple, it's very quick, easy on the go, which even at the cusp of 1960, 1961, women were still going to bed with pin curls oh, yes. in. And <laughs> the morning routine was a, mm -hmm. it was a big thing. They were still getting really dressed right. up, and she was just, hey, I'm sleeping in a tuxedo shirt, <laughs> and I'm waking up, and I'm just going to throw myself together. Right. Yeah. Well, one thing about this movie for me, though that like almost puts the movie shuts the movie down to a crawl <laughs> every time he oh, appears no. on screen oh, it no. is you know where I'm going with yes. this be <laughs> Mickey Rooney's like racial oh, no. stereotype how did I forget we were going to talk about it oh my god <laughs> Miss Golightly Miss Golightly Oh, it's terrible. No. It's terrible. Man, I... Overacting. And I read the saddest thing about how he was really upset that um it might have been Blake Edwards. Some somebody, either like a producer, or, you know, said uh, that other other than his role, he was really really yeah. thrilled with the film. And, you know, <laughs> wow, he was really or not um, thrilled. Other than the Mickey Rooney um, character, yeah. he was happy with the rest of the film. Yeah, um, and you know, Mickey Rooney was like, "Oh, I'm so," you know, like at the time they were like, you know, do this and go with it. It's funny, and I'm like, oh. Man. Yes. Bad. I know. Every time I, I think of this, though, I think of Dana Carvey's uh, impersonation of Vicky Rooney. I was the biggest star in the world, yeah. and that's exactly how he plays it here. It's like he is the movie. Oh my god, it's terrible. Like I who? Know. I know it's the '60s, and I know the that they were. Oh god. Oh yeah. It's, 
it's bad. Like it's that. bad acting I mean, anyway. Yeah, <laughs> it's no, no. It's not even yeah. good acting. It's terrible. You know, he's letting yeah. the teeth do all the work. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> Let your costume work for you. Yeah, right, yeah, yeah. Don't overact. I know, and I love, um, <laughs> I love the party so much, and I, <laughs> I cringe when I know that he's going to be introduced again. <laughs> I'm like, I oh the no, police. they're gonna call him. He's gonna call the cops. Like, I know that has to happen, but I don't want to see him. Oh man. <laughs> I guess, I'll be honest, I don't get Mickey Rooney. How did he become this big star? I mean, he was a child actor He's with child Judy, star. Judy Garland. Yeah, but Judy Garland, that's how. I mean, what yeah, kept him... Yeah, he was a pretty big that's star. That's it. Yeah. <laughs> You're a child star, right? I think yeah. he banked, he could have banked most of his life off the fact that he was friends with Judy Garland. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that could be. He had the wow. MGM. I was her boyfriend when she was 13. <laughs> He had the MGM like uh, star machine behind him, and yeah. Louis B. Mayer, and and what man? What, what, what were what, those movies? Can we look it up, Andy? Andy? The ones with um, yeah. Mickey Rooney and Judy Garland because it was sort of a series. Yeah, and they were about thirteen, <laughs> like at the time, thirteenish. It was before yeah. Wizard of Oz, I think. Is it Andy Hardy? And, uh, yeah, Andy Hardy. Because yeah, it was the Andy Hardy movie. Like, like, let's put on a show, kids, kind of thing. Doesn't yeah. she say? Um, I believe love has finally come to. Andy Hardy. Like, isn't that one of the lines that uh, Emily says? Um, there was a movie called Girl Crazy they were in together. It's like... <laughs> okay, uh... I looked up Mickey Rooney's Wikipedia yeah. page, and there's a what? quote from Laurence Olivier. Who's <laughs> what is That's all you have to say. Just you leave it at that. Laurence Olivier. Laurence Olivier once said he considered Rooney the best there ever has been. What year was that? <laughs> you know, Olivier was probably drunk when he said I was gonna this, say, have so. <laughs> you been drinking? Mickey, it was probably sarcastic, and he took it seriously. Okay, I'll write that down. There's yeah. a quote. He probably turned on Mickey Rooney. To each their own. I mean, there are probably a lot of people that really like Mickey Rooney, just like there are a lot of people, you know, who like this well, character. Yeah. Right, right, right. <laughs> I love to find the fan page for this character too online. Like, there's like a whole one. site dedicated to this I hope character. This is the role that Lawrence Olivier is like most people would. <laughs> Most people would play this subtly and, and respect the culture with the portraying. No. But you dare to take it to... This is my favorite, you know what? favorite I bet, part of today is that that quote is from him. I bet... I don't, I don't have the history behind me. But I bet Olivia made this after working with Dustin Hoffman on Marathon Man. He was so exhausted by method acting that he said, Mickey Rooney is now my favorite actor. I want to I want to work with Mickey Rooney. he just goes out there and does it. <laughs> I don't think that uh, Mr... What's his name? You should, you should. Yeah. <laughs> I don't think that he would come up organically <laughs> in anyone's no. acting. No, and no. I don't feel like that would, I mean, the chances of having a neighbor of that, of, of that nature is so yeah. slim. <laughs> I know. You like know. The scene where they, where Audrey and, um, or Holly and, um. Her Latin lover coming home from the party yeah. right before she gets the telegram about Fred. Jose. Yeah. Jose. I uh, should have guessed. Um, and he's just like standing up there and she just like gives the water. They just, they must have, he must have dripped water on them because he was like coming out of his bath. Oh, and yeah. Because she, like, she always up. buzzes to get in. Yeah. yeah. And he's like just like dripping like water, just looking down, dripping. It's like, who does that? <laughs> Strange, it's strange, <laughs> and of course, this is a very controversial role. Like Asian Americans yeah. are really upset about this portrayal well, for obvious too. reasons. I am upset. Yeah. I know. You know, 
And now we have Emma Stone playing a Hawaiian, too. I mean, it just doesn't what? change. Yeah, she was I in that, that Cameron Crowe film from a while back. Uh, Emma Stone was, was cast as a Hawaiian love this. interest. And I know, and of course, of, that of all people, was Emma upset. Stone? I know, yeah. she's as pale as me, and she's playing a Hawaiian. <laughs> and that culture was upset, and I oh, get it. Big, How can the, that be today? Absolutely. The big one is Matt Damon. In this new movie, The Wall, which or, or, was awful. They showed the preview yeah. last oh. night. About he plays. I think he's playing a. I think he's playing Chinese. Someone Chinese. And what are we doing? I don't know. <laughs> and he's even talking like he's like. Yeah, it, talk it, slow. It's very strange. Yeah. There are going to be more Mickey Rooney's out there now, where people are just going to start playing stereotypes again. <sighs> but. Uh, it was very controversial, uh, but it shuts the film down because it's totally out out of sync with the rest of the movie. The, most, the rest of the movie is supposed to be more of that urbane, sophisticated Manhattan mm-hmm. comedy. Mm-hmm. It's almost like a precursor to like a Woody Allen film in a way, you know, like Manhattan, yeah, Annie Hall, that. in that that regard. I mean, Blake Edwards is it's, a. It's like it's it's really in, in some ways one of the first rom coms <laughs> of its kind. You know? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, it is. I think a lot of rom coms took definitely took notes. Mm-hmm. Will they? Won't they? You know. <laughs> <laughs> um, did, did you find, uh, find anything about were were people upset then, or did it sort of progress? Into I think it. it's one of those things that kind of over time. Like I, I doubt 1961 that people were. Yeah. Uh, oh, the New York Times in 1961 said his buck tooth myopic Japanese is broadly exotic was their review. That's putting it nicely by saying yeah. yes. that. was in the New York Times in 1961, but, but the 90s, that's when it really became a, a big deal. That's when political correctness really that's started right. coming That's why the, I can't believe we're talking about two mainstream white actors now playing, the, you know. And they're criticized the openly for it, for yeah. those casting Good. choices have been criticized. <laughs> right. But uh, uh, back then, I, I think it was more like... They were still in that mindset where stereotypes are constantly around. Like, you know, mm-hmm. everything was broad and big. You know, most comedies were like that back then. You know, well, Jerry I Lewis. I mean, Jerry Lewis was doing this shit all the time because it wasn't a racist stereotype yeah. usually, but it was over the top, yeah, uh, quirky acting. Yeah. <laughs> well, if you're not trying, Sean, you're not going to be funny. <laughs> <laughs> you're right. But you, can't, you can't mock him for not trying. I mean, he's really trying to be funny. No, he worked his ass off in this movie. I, I grant him that. He probably spent at least a good four hours in the makeup chair alone. From oh, maybe ten so, minutes of screen time. I know, oh, that's time. true. It's a very large impact for such a small thing. That's a lot of a lot of money was spent on this minor they role. They didn't even you know. really need that character. No. I feel they bad. Not. <laughs> no, they didn't. I feel bad for landlords in general because they just get torn to shreds in every movie. Was yeah, and TV, too. Was, was he the landlord? Yeah, he was a landlord. So. Yeah. I mean, he acted like a landlord. Yeah. Well, then it came Mr. Roper, you know, you know, he's impotent. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Mr. Roper. <laughs> and Mr. Yeah. Hurley. Mr. Hurley, yeah. Oh, yeah. Ace Norman. <laughs> Norman. Norman. <laughs> I love that movie. I do, too. <laughs> Norman Fell has only played landlords, by the way, because he's a landlord. <laughs> Man. <laughs> My landlord won't fix the leak in my tub so I just want to put that out there yeah there you go <laughs> the landlord that's why yeah if you're listening and over to Emily's place right, right. Exactly. I hope I hope you were teed in to what we were saying about uh, Mickey Rooney here. there's a subliminal I mean, message isn't that kind of doesn't that defeat the purpose of the leak in the tub <laughs> I know, like that's why I rent. What else has to? Yeah, it's not. It's not so bad. Like, yeah, I have to take a shower. You're right. I can't. I can't have like a. And that <laughs> that impacts your lifestyle and your self care. <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> 
That it does. That is a problem. Well, speaking of lifestyle, <laughs> here's my segue. <laughs> um, on the opposite end is Henry Mancini's score is oh, super it's so good. And Moon River. Is if you don't like the song Moon River, go home. Yeah. <laughs> Even go if you're home, home stay. Get your life right. Yeah. <laughs> you know, that's a great song. It's actually a well-constructed pop song. It's beautiful. And I, and I actually prefer uh, Audrey's version to I the uh, Andy Williams version. Why yeah. would they ever record it with Andy Williams? I'm not sure. It's <laughs> you made sweet... lots of money recording that song. Yeah. 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 But it's such a sweet, simple song, and I yeah. actually love that her voice is just like a regular person truly yeah. just sitting on their windowsill singing to no one. It sounds so pure. Yeah. It's a typical, you know, <laughs> it's his way of mansplaining the song. <laughs> <laughs> have to long for like that guy does not seem insecure at all like he, you know he's right. your typical he really over he overdid it yeah talk about overdoing it well he that's Andy Williams it. overdoes it was over life over yeah he does Andy Williams overdid life that was kind of his I mantra I mean I would rather listen to like an a video game 8-bit version of Andy <laughs> <laughs> listen to Andy Williams version I'm sorry Andy but it's just not my bag yeah I'm not an Andy Williams guy either you know yeah. holiday specials yeah. You know, yeah, I was gonna say, it's notwithstanding, album. Yeah. yeah, I'm more of a Bing Crosby, it's uh, the most wonderful Nat King Cole kind of girl. Yeah, I like oh, Bing yeah. too. I'm a, I'm a big Bing guy. Uh, he should have done Green River. That would have been a great oh, version. He would have done a great version. He would have nailed I like it Bing, but I don't like it when he goes to the really uh, deep cuts of Christmas music. <laughs> Old King Wenceslas. It just sounds like <laughs> with his deep voice. No, I guess that's why they call him Deep Cuts. Yeah, Deep Cuts, Deep Christmas Cuts. <laughs> <laughs> Some hipster out there is like, I only listen to Bing Crosby deep cut for Christmas. You start playing Wake Christmas or Mellow Like a Hickey, I'm shutting down the whole Speaking enterprise. Wow, this is just a. Yeah, that covers everything. I love the Andrew Sisters uh, Jingle Bells with, with uh, Bing. That's my favorite Bing cut. Those are fantastic. No. Are, is this for White Christmas? No, it was maybe in the 30s, I think, oh, like at its peak. Mm-hmm. It's Jingle Bells. It's like that kind of classic <laughs> jazz. <laughs> well, I, I, I can't do the Bing version. You know, I don't have the vocal. I like David Bowie and Bing Crosby. Yeah, that, there you go. Yeah. Did that happen? That's a, I don't even like the song. I just want I just want an album of just them talking before the They're song. They're just so super cool. I want to, I want to hear small talk. They are, yeah. Yeah, I don't really like the song very much, but I just like the, the image of them together. Just like, yeah. Just chatting. <laughs> yeah. 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 I love Ziggy Stardust. That's my, that's my, that's my go-to jam. <laughs> do, you, do you like contemporary music? Oh, I love the, the contemporary music. Yeah, you gotta love the banter. Yeah. yeah, I just think like it would be funny like uh, if they're trying to explain to Bing Crosby, David Bowie, and you're like, "Here's the Berlin trilogy," where he works with like avant-garde music. <laughs> hmm, I could do a lot with it. Yeah. <laughs> I could do a lot with heroes. Bring it on. Yeah, no one's ever covered heroes. No, 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 nobody ever has. It's 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 such an obscure cut. And Bob Hope, Bing Crosby, yes. and Bob Hope used to entertain the troops back in the day when that was the thing. Mm-hmm. And Marilyn Monroe, didn't she do that? Mm-hmm. Yeah, she, yeah was... she did. A lot of really. Oh, that was a. Uh, that's that. when Bob Hope had the like the golf club. That was his bit. It was just uh, he walked around. <laughs> <the street. laughs> you know who I love and admire because he didn't entertain the troops. He joined the troops. 
Jimmy Stewart. Oh, I, yeah, I love Jimmy Stewart too. Jimmy Stewart. I'll be honest, I love Bob Hope too. I mean, I've seen Bob Hope. Yeah, you know, he gets a, a bad rap these days, but he was really funny in this peak. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. Uh, him and, apparently, him and Bing Crosby were like best friends. Yeah, they were. They were like really, really good friends in that time. Yeah. Like, you know, back then. Um, but getting back to Harry Mancini <laughs> would be. I love his, I know. his segues. <laughs> no, um, Henry Mancini is one of my favorite composers in general. And I think a lot of it has to do with his strong connection with Audrey Hepburn. He mm-hmm. just seems to score a lot of films that she was in. This one, Charade, Two for the Road, right. um, Wait Until Dark. I mean, it seems like almost every Audrey Hepburn movie um, had Henry Mancini, kind of like Danny Elfman and uh, Tim Burton, you know? <laughs> yes. Um, so I, I guess I just associate the sound with Audrey. But... Mancini's sound in general is so 60s, and that's one of the things I love about it. I love it, it, yeah. And this score in particular is so glossy and fluffy and whimsical, and it just, I think, captivates. Mm -hmm. It it just captivates. You know, like when you listen to it, you're like, you feel like you're in the 60s, and and just the different bells and the doot-doot-doot. You know, it's like, it's just fun, and you're Mm -hmm. like, I want to be in a 60s. I want to be at a '60s party right now. Well, uh, in very nice formal attire. Yes. I my first exposure to Henry Mancini was a kid. Obviously, was the Pink Panther cartoons. I mean, that's I just that that's, music is great too. Yeah, that's just the gateway for everybody into Henry mm-hmm. Mancini because oh, that, yeah. that theme you knew it instantaneously, and and it was in the front of that the actual film, The Pink Panther. They had that cartoon, so it's synonymous with that. <laughs> yes, yeah, there's a little. And then uh, he actually did the theme to the New Newhart TV show from the 80s, the one that was in Vermont. Too. Yeah, he, mm-hmm. he, he also that theme did song. the James Bond theme, the original yes. one, you know, the one, mm-hmm. the classic James Bond. You know? oh, that's, that's Mancini? Yeah. I thought that was. I, uh, I could be wrong, but I thought that was Henry Mancini. I could be wrong. <laughs> I was uh, watching a documentary on making Jaws, which, if you ever. It's, it's really interesting because so many Jaws? things went wrong. Yeah. So. They were talking about how, and John Williams' score, um, they they wanted to show the shark a lot more, and that just didn't work out because technical difficulties. But all they had to do was play the music, and you were like, the shark is here. Yeah. But I mean, I think Man- Mancini has a lot of those iconic where, you know, you hear the Pink Panther, you immediately think of that. You hear Moon River, Breakfast at Tiffany's. And I love that. I think that's a I mark of a great composer. Yeah. Is it sad that I think of fiberglass insulation? <laughs> <laughs> Henry Mancini was put on Earth to sell fiberglass insulation. That was his best. To do a fiberglass. I'm not sure. It was pink. It was a pink color. I think that's why they chose it. I think. I'm going with that. That's probably why. Yeah. I'm gonna. I'm gonna go with that theory on that. I think that was the peak of him. Everybody sells out sometimes. I'm gonna see Henry Mancini watching that commercial when the tear goes out of his eye. I've reached. There's nowhere else to go. But he's probably making royalties out of nowhere. Thank God. For insulation, or else I'd be poor he right now. He probably makes more money off of the Breakfast at Tiffany's soundtrack mm-hmm. sales and Moon River. I mean, you think any anything he's getting some kind of royalty from? Mm-hmm. Are you saying the Pink Panther soundtrack isn't <laughs> selling like hotcakes? Not today, anymore. but I am saying that people such as myself do still listen to the Breakfast at yes. Tiffany's soundtrack. Uh, by the way, just as a caveat, uh, John Barry composed a James Bond theme Did song. He? Okay. He's a great composer in his That's own right. That's a fantastic right, song. Just a yeah. James Bond song. The one thing we'll correct today on the podcast is the James <laughs> Bond theme. Um, but I love this work. I loved um, 
you know, like he, he's just, it's funny because he's one of those guys that people would pick, you know, like he's so such a celebrated composer that you would always mm-hmm. find him coming up in places like that. And his work here is great. I mean, it has that jazzy, he kind of invented, you know, when you look at the opening credits for Catch Me If You Can, you know, the John Williams score for Catch Me If mm-hmm. You Can, that is a clear uh, homage to uh, Henry Mancini. It so is. That when you think of that cocktail, like yes. swinging 60s culture, yes. you think of Henry Mancini. Yeah. Yeah, it's that doop, doop, doop kind of thing. That's what it is. And that makes you just, okay, I want to be there. Yeah. And then Bob Dylan came in and toured. I love Bob Dylan, too. It's just, it's a a different occasion. You know, I listen to Bob Dylan when I'm driving or, you know, (laughs) writing poetry and things like that. But Henry Mancini, when I'm having a cocktail party, is when you put on Mancini. (laughs) Exactly, you know. There, there are times for Henry Mancini and there are times for Bob Dylan. That's that's that's, right. that's, that's, that's a motto for life. The birds wrote that song, right? <laughs> yeah, they did. <laughs> they did. That's why David Crosby and all those cats came together and said, "We gotta, we gotta clarify to people." Turn, turn, turn. Yeah. Uh, well, Tony's right now holding up her, uh, her breakfast at By Tiffany's three notebook. Three subject, one hundred and twenty college world sheets notebook. <laughs> this was actually a gift. A friend of mine gifted this to me. <laughs> Now, the novel, I think, is supposedly darker than the... Um, I haven't read the novel myself at Capote, but... It's very short. It's the book really of the landlord. <laughs> there you go. I'm sorry. It's good. I mean, I... Truman Capote is a great writer, but it's definitely yeah. meant to be really cynical, I think. Yeah. You know? It has a darker, cynical edge to it, I think, well, compared I feel to... Like, yeah, in the book, I feel like he wanted to portray her as this kind of little girl like lost in the big city whereas in the movie I feel like she the city's like another character but she's definitely in it and has her own presence she takes up um yeah and I feel like the movie's a little bit more lively yeah it's fresh Mm -hmm. it's 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 um it's just way more lively than the book the book's very short Mm -hmm. I mean I think it was maybe a hundred a little over a hundred pages so it's a quick read it's you're in it and then you're out of it Mm -hmm. um the, one of my favorite aspects about this movie is I just love the world that Blake Edwards created. You know, just this this beautiful, glossy, soft, safe, glamorous mm-hmm. version of New York City mm-hmm. in the 60s. I mean, when I see this, I, I hope and I think that, that New York City was like that. In, I know, in me too. <laughs> you just can't help but feel like yeah. it was. And, and I want to jump into the movie screen and be another character. Um, and I think that that's a mark of a really great director is when you're able to create these these beautiful abstract or really be- you know entrancing worlds that audiences just want to be a part of. The movie really doesn't follow a linear plot line anyway. It's more of a like a series of like uh, of like almost like a series of short stories within the larger scope. Mm-hmm. Kind of, it's more of like a societal. Like uh, and now it's like a sociological like mm-hmm. like view of New York in 1961 mm-hmm. of these like uh, like uh, upper you know upper middle class like Manhattan culture you know uh, kind of the elite culture but how loose and a little more liberated they are than you know probably the rest of the country at the time and I think that's good it's like all these like stories within a story going yeah, on yeah there really is no plot line to this movie when you think about <laughs> no, it no that's true I feel like we just um we get to follow Paul and he just happens to meet her and then we Mm -hmm. get just that snippet of his time with her, you know. Mm -hmm. Um, But I sort of like that. I do too. Yeah. You know, talking about her relationship with Paul again, um, 
this sort of touches on what we were mentioning earlier about the two of them being really connected and understanding each other and on the same page. And there's this that scene um, where Holly and Jose are coming back from dinner, I'm assuming, and Holly gets the telegram that her brother Fred had died. And it's, it's funny because um, she obviously loses control and yeah. gets really emotional and upset and destructive. And Jose just doesn't know how to respond to it. He doesn't even know how to really absorb it. And he calls for Paul. And so Paul comes in and he's able to calm yeah. her down. And, and he said, you know, her brother died and she was very close to him. And, and again, that's just um, another testament to how close her and Paul really are, even though they had their moments and arguments um, and how much they really do have an understanding of one another. And I think that that was before, yeah, that's before, um, is that before, yeah, I, I can't remember now, is it before or after the scene where they get into the fight where she's drunk? It and is after. After, and yeah, and she says, yeah. it takes four seconds to get to the door. I'll give I know. you two. That's a great fight. <laughs> <laughs> you know, when they, when they have their little fight, you know. Mm -hmm. But uh, but again, he's there for her, and he's the only one who seems to really know how to be there for her. Even at the end, where she is dead set on going to the airport to go to, um, uh, is it Puerto Rico? Mm -hmm. Go to Puerto Rico. And even, even though Jose made it very clear that it was over, she just couldn't accept that and said, you know what, I'll just, I've never been, I'll go. And, and, I absolutely love that dialogue. Paul's monologue where he kind of calls her out. He says, you know, you keep running, but everywhere, no matter where you go, you're just going to mm -hmm. keep running into yourself. And I think that there's real love between them, and that's yeah. where you start to see it, because, mm -hmm. you know, um, we have sort of our more surface friendships, and then we have people who we would really challenge because we want them to be the best that they mm -hmm. can, and that doesn't mean that you're always like, oh, yes, whatever makes you feel good, you know? Yeah. Um, I love that scene, too. Absolutely. Um, yeah, and he says that he loves her, and she says, you know, that's where she says, I don't want to be caged, I don't want to be confined, I just want to be on my own. And mm -hmm. He says, I don't want to cage you, I just want to love you, I just want to be with you. And that was a really um, monumental scene in the life of Hollywood Lightly mm -hmm. for her. And, uh, yeah, and then when he throws the ring at her, and he says, I've been carrying about this thing around for months, I And, I, I mean, know. it's just like, man... First of all, Paul is great at hitting people where it counts. Mm -hmm. I mean, he's just got these lines, and but he's so honest about it that mm -hmm. that it doesn't really come off mean, but it's hurtful because it's true, mm -hmm. you know. And you're, you're you see that. Then you know, remember the scene where she's in the library and she's reading about Spanish and all these other things, and she's just kind of giving him the cold shoulder, and it's like he just keeps trying and trying to to get her to open up to him, and she's just so resistant. Um, yeah, I just think that that's a really special and rare thing. You don't have a lot of friends in life that will keep being your friend, especially as you get older. It's harder to get friends and retain friends mm -hmm. as you age um, because I think you are more about quality than quantity at that point. And uh, for someone to keep coming back and to see your faults and your weaknesses and still have love and respect for you despite of that, you know, that's a really special and she wasn't one of his, uh, he wasn't one of her um, people that she just ran into mm -hmm. on this path in her life, you know, I mean, because so many people seemed like they came and went. Mm -hmm. um, he he loved her as her occupation, but also herself, mm -hmm. and 
he wanted to continue on this journey with her. And I just don't think she had ever had that. No. It was like, you know, even the Jose character, I mean, she was just going to follow and see where this went. It was never like, because I feel loved, I'm willing to. Yeah, and it's funny because when when Paul's breaking up with um, Patricia O'Neill's character, Mm -hmm. you know, he says, and she kind of teases him, and he says, for once, you know, I think I can help someone. Yeah, you know, I know. He talks about how delayed, and he says, you know, I want to help her, and I want to love her, and I think, you know, I think I can be that person for her. And I think that was a turning point in his life, too, because I think, like Holly, he was just used to kind of going with the flow. He had this this um, kind of, uh, I don't want to say lazy ambition of being a writer, but he definitely was, he wasn't. He didn't have to. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, like, remember Holly even says there's no, there's no ribbon in this typewriter. Yeah. You know, yeah. I mean, yeah. I think he, he liked that idea and mm-hmm. he wrote that book, Nine Lives, but it, because it wasn't maybe as successful as he had hoped it wasn't the great Gatsby, right. um, he started to give up a little bit. So um, I think in a way they sort of saved each other and they were brought into each other's lives at that right moment to help them each kind of see um, mm-hmm where they were at, kind of where they, you know, could be and how they needed to change. So I'm, I don't usually love romantic comedy, comedies and usually in movies, unless it's about an animal, I won't cry <laughs> <laughs> if something happens to a human because I'm like, oh, I, you know, that's an actor, I know. Yeah. But um, I did cry at the end of Requisite Tiffany's because there's just something about connecting with finally finding someone who loves you the way that you are and realizing how lost you'd be if that was gone, but, like, you're afraid to admit it at the time. And, oh, I just love it so much. I think yeah. it's so, it's, I, I think for women, it, it's it's really easy to identify with. I think for men, it's a little bit harder. Uh, just because of our social roles and, and the things that women, um, not to say that marriage is not a sacrifice for both, because it is, mm-hmm. but think about it, you know, women, in a lot of, most times, they give up their careers um, we give up our last names. Mm-hmm. When you give up your last name, it's part of your identity. You mm-hmm. have to, now you're so and Mrs. So-and-so, and you have to figure out who that person is. And it, it, You know, just like when you're in a relationship, you go from being Tony to now Scott and Tony. Right. <laughs> and people, you're just always associated together. Um, and so it's, it's very easy to lose that sense of self and mm-hmm. to lose that sense of identity. And I've uh, I've done that many times in relationships unknowingly. Um, it just kind of happens. I think it's something that happens more frequently and more easily for women than for men. Mm-hmm. Women will tend to take on hobbies that their boyfriends have. Right. They tend, you know, they'll give up things that they like um, to either serve their boyfriend or whatever the case is. It just seems to be more common. Mm-hmm. So as a woman, I mean, I really understand where Holly Golay is coming from, and you know, I'm thir- I'll be 31 in two weeks. <laughs> you know, I've never been married. Um, I've always been independent. I take care of myself. I've been, you know, living on my own. Don't even have roommates, um, and I'm very, very proud of that. And and I feel very blessed. And I I kind of have that Holly Golightly effect where um, I'm I'm kind of a free spirit in the sense of I don't I don't like to be tied down. Um, right. Whether it's in a relationship or a job or a ta- a city or <laughs> school or whatever the case is, if I start to feel like like I'm not able to do something new or, or move, I get really nervous mm-hmm. and I get very uncomfortable and it's it's really hard for me. Um, so I really identify, I think, with how I do like because it, it, it's scary giving that up when you work so hard to get it. Yeah, to give it up. 
and, and even when you give it up to know that there's still a chance it may not work. I mean, nothing's guaranteed. Oh, I know. You know, it's it's scary. Um, <laughs> and I think that that's why, you know, just to be real, that's why I've never really settled down or gotten married. I've always been really afraid. I've kind of been afraid to because I've worked so hard to get where I'm at and I really like where I'm at and I like who I am and I love my independence and I, it's it may sound selfish to some people, but I think to me it's one of the most selfless things I've ever done for myself is to not, is to be um, really, I don't want to say picky, but well, to hold yeah, on I to mean, that, you know. You know, I always think also, um, who wants to be settled for? <laughs> you know, I mean, exactly. like it's yeah. sort of a service to yourself and anyone that you're with to say, mm-hmm. um, you know, I want this to be the best for both of us. I don't yeah. want to someday have... I don't know. I I have had that happen to me where, you know, you ask someone, oh, well, what made you tell me this or that? And, you know, he's like, well, I just felt like it was the time to say that. You know, it's just the yeah. worst feeling. Like, you want someone to just love you and all of you. And in the movie, especially the time period, um, she was not any of the social norms mm-hmm. of a woman. No way. And, and even now, I sometimes feel like, oh, I'm not good at this. I'm not feminine in this way like you know you still have some of that on on uh our gender and um so back then that was just so radical I think that she was like I have no furniture I don't cook (laughs) (laughs) um you know I have nothing that I don't have any money yeah I have no money I wouldn't have to um take anything with me if I went because I'm I live this kind of gypsy lifestyle and then that was it just seems so huge. Of course, the first viewing, I didn't think of that. Um, but, you know, when I watch it now, I'm like, man, she was really amazing. <laughs> well, that, when I first saw it when I was young, I didn't realize that either. But now, as I've aged and I've been in and out of relationships, it's the same right. way. And that, that scene in the cab, I understand. I, I feel in some ways I've been you know. in that cab, you know. And and um, I think and I, I struggle with a lot of that, too, is feeling like if I'm in a relationship or if I do move in with someone or get married and mm-hmm. take that next step that I feel like I'm going to lose myself um, or that I'll be in a cage and, and I, I won't be able to, yep. to do what I want. Or, and, and I think that the truth of the matter is, as I've learned from the relationship <laughs> that I'm in, yeah, and I think as Holly has learned, too, when you find that special someone, that the person... Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You know, that right someone, that does change. And, mm-hmm. and you're not, you realize that you're not in a cage and that that person does love you and they do respect you and they're still going to let you have that time that you need and mm-hmm. they're going to support your independence because they know that that's a big characteristic of who you are and that's why they love you, you know? Right. Um, and I think that's also, that comes with age and maturing. You know, when you're young, it's hard to, I think mm-hmm. it's hard to, to see that. I'm um, in a great relationship now where um, I finally feel like uh, he says, um, just things happen and I think, oh man, you know, well, it's almost a year, so he's bound to see this crappy part of me. (laughs) But then it's always that he is, you know, replying to me even without saying it sometimes. Well, no, that's just a part of you. Like, Mm -hmm. you don't always have to be happy. You don't always have to be this way, you know. Um, You can have these struggles and you can tell me because um, I feel like in, in things before, I was very like, I want you to see this part because I don't like this part. <laughs> so I'm yes. not going to, you know, um, but yeah. I, I totally understand. <laughs> Absolutely. And it's really refreshing. And, and, and it's something that when you're not used to it, I guess, you know, when you haven't been maybe treated the best that you could have been. Yeah. Not to say that you've been treated horribly, mm-hmm. but 
when someone does show you that kind of unconditional love and that respect and that appreciation and acceptance, mm-hmm. it's it's almost you're like whoa. You kind of don't really know how to respond to it at first. You're like no, that's absolutely. You're right. like, is this going to mm-hmm. last? First of all, are they just saying it yeah. like you said? You know, or is you know? And then after a while, you realize, oh my gosh, like that's so beautiful. This that's is what such it a is. Yeah, yeah. And it makes you push back, and I think that's what Holly was doing a little. Mm-hmm. You're almost like. Oh, this just got real, and I don't want to be yes. hurt, you know. Um, yeah. But there wasn't a part of herself that Holly couldn't show Paul, mm-hmm. and I haven't had that before um, this relationship. I didn't think this would go this deep. I'm so <laughs> sorry. I took it down. <laughs> this is where you need to go. I like Audrey's dress, by the, the way. I just want to throw that That's, uh... Can we talk about the fashion? Yeah, yeah come on. <laughs> It's a deep movie, yeah. and that's why they yeah. resonate with it. I'm sorry. No, no. <laughs> I enjoyed it. You know, I, I think sorry, that's crucial. Not sorry. This is an independent podcast, yes, not right. a woman on the podcast. And, um, but no, the, the cat actually makes me think of Betsy now, the, my, mm-hmm. my basset hound. Um, she passed away uh, this January, but she... Oh, um, yeah. oh thank you. But, um, yeah, like, I know this is totally uh, to a lesser degree than what we were just discussing about with like, relationships, but she loved me the way that I am because she loved me when I was just like in a t-shirt eating crackers. And when I got, um, and when I gave her some crackers, of course, and also when I was all dolled up and my best self. And um, I think, you know, I love that part with Holly and the cat so much. Yes. As- <laughs> I definitely can say the same thing. Yeah, I've had her since she was six weeks old. And she'll be twelve now. And so w- she was with me from my my very late teens, you know, my whole decade of the twenties, which is a really um, important decade, you know, for women. You learn a lot, yeah. you change a lot, you grow a lot, and so to have her by my side and and during that ten years, I moved around. Like geographically, okay, many places. I've I've had um, many different kinds of people in my life, and she's been around for that ride. And so <laughs> to have that constant best friend who yes. loves me, and who, who I know is always going to be there and is always going to mm-hmm. be that constant in my life when everything is always changing. Yeah, it's a really nice, comforting thing. And um, yeah, it, I think pets are fantastic. <laughs> so. Uh, <laughs> Getting back to Henry Mancini. Uh, uh, um, no, no, that was fantastic. I, I really enjoyed listening to that. Uh, on, a, on, a, on a quirky note, Holly Golightly and I have the same mailbox. No oh. way. Like, yeah, I'll just show you. My little mailbox is the same exact gold one. Yes. Do you keep a, a perfume in it? I actually have it. When I first moved in here and yeah. I realized that I had like an old-fashioned uh, mailbox, I did take a picture of perfume and lipstick. Yay. Yeah. Yeah. I was I like, I have to. You're like, she gets so little mail because she's never tied down, you yes. know, uh, that she can keep that as sort of a little locker. <laughs> even had a mirror on it. Right. Yeah. I had a question for you guys uh, after that discussion, because I know you're a big fan. Is this Audrey's best performance? A lot of people would consider it's her most iconic, but is it her best performance? I would, I would say it's her most iconic, but I am... Um, I have a huge appreciation for Two for the Road. As I talked about earlier, if you've never seen that movie, connect with me. I'll let you borrow my DVD because it's hard to find. Um, it is just a fantastic film. It's a, it's a story. It's not a love story, but it's a story about love. And it's about a couple who gets married and, you know, you follow their journey and then they've, they've had their ups and downs in their marriage. And 
it's just this really intimate inside look into being in a committed long-term relationship and I just think it's beautifully done and her performance in it is very raw and it's very real it's not glamorous she's she looks like me right Mm -hmm. now and that's very different for her and the time even you know because that was in the 60s um that was still a very glamorous time, you know, especially in movies. But towards the latter part of the 60s, as we talked about earlier, things started getting a little bit more real, mm-hmm. realistic. Raw, you and know. Raw. Yeah. yeah, and this movie falls into that category. Um, it's directed by Stanley Donnan, and it's just phenomenal. I mean, that movie makes me cry, and it just... Mm, because... Yeah. It, cry in a great way, because um, you can't help but understand it, you know? Uh, and... To, to, to see Audrey like that in that kind of movie is really special. And um, like I said, it's kind of hard to find. So there's probably so many people that have never even seen it mm-hmm. or even heard of it. So I think that kind of makes it even more unique for me. But that's my personal favorite in terms of her as an actress. Um, acting like as the art form instead of just performing or entertaining. Like she's great in My Fair Lady, mm-hmm. but that is like a musical you know, there's yeah. a certain acting style that's required for being in a musical versus mm-hmm. a gritty film. Agreed, yeah. Yeah. I agree with that. Um, I would, you know, I haven't seen Two for the Road, I've always planned on seeing it, <laughs> but I think my favorite Audrey performance, and I'll probably get to it when we cover it, would probably be My Fair Lady, <laughs> just because I think that's, the trajectory is, is fun. It's good. a fun yeah. trajectory where she yeah. goes from... She does a great job with the Cockney accent for a while. I mean, it's a completely <laughs> it's a, different yeah. side of her. And then she moves the over. Yeah. Come on. And yeah. to have um, a, a musical character that uh, she's not hokey. You know what I mean? Like, it, yeah. you really like her. And it's not, it's not really cheesy either. I mean, you're like, she's spunky. And um, I like that. I think it was rare for... Um, for musicals during that time, which I do love the musicals, but yes. they're super cheesy. Yeah, and that's why I say there's a certain acting yeah. style for musicals. But yes, I would agree that that My Fair Lady is kind of a, an exception to musicals. Yeah. Absolutely, yeah. I, I just enjoy the the performance. Um, how does the movie in general hold up for you guys? Like having revisited, does it? Do you consider it a classic across the board? Yes. Absolutely. Yeah. I think it's a classic outside of Mickey Rooney. <laughs> I mean, you have yeah. to say it because it's so jarring. It's a, not it's not a flawless classic. No. No. It's not something that you'd recommend to someone without saying, but Mickey Rooney. <laughs> if someone yeah. can just edit out the parts of Mickey Rooney in it. <laughs> and, and that and would be, yeah. And if they added like another Audrey Hepburn song, that yeah. would be yeah. great. Yeah. Just, just replace it with Norman Fell as a as the landlord. Hey, get out of here. <laughs> No, Stop. but I can watch it now, and it really does seem timeless. I mean, it's it, it represents that time period, which is super fun in its own way, but um, it can apply to women now and relationships now, and it is my favorite performance of hers, because I feel like um, she's just natural, and so yeah. is Paul, and, yeah. and the first time I watched it, um, he seemed a little cold. Um, Me too. But, Me yeah, too. but now I'm yeah. like, no, he's just sort of... Um, did you notice that, you know, he doesn't, like, notice other women or other people? He's just sort of like, oh, I'll talk to you if you're in front of me. Um, but I think he's just, that's how he's living his life right then. Yeah. He's like, well, let me see what's up with this Holly girl, but, you know, maybe nothing. You know, I mean, he's just not invested. Mm-hmm. No. And, yeah. yeah, and, and even, that, even that, I mean, Holly kind of pursues the friendship. Remember, she mm-hmm. even a little note, you know, sorry about yeah. last night, let's yeah. have a drink. Like, she invited him to the party and all that. Um She's definitely making the, the investments in the beginning, for sure. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, I, I really um, 
I know people have their opinions about George Papard, but I think there's something very endearing about mm-hmm. him. I think he's I think he's very cute. He's not exceptionally great looking, but I think that the role called for someone who is good looking enough, but not mm-hmm. you know not a Paul Newman type. Um, but uh, yeah, I, I and I think that they're they're kind of offbeat, and I like yes. that about them, and it fits. Um, and his character is a little bit more serious. But I think you needed that because she's so eccentric. Mm-hmm. You yeah. have to have some kind of grounding yeah. point, you know. Um, but he has his moments, you know. And I especially <laughs> love the scene where they, they uh, go on the date in New York City. I know. Mm-hmm. I mean, that is such a fun concept. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And my favorite character in this movie, by the way, is the, the guy at Tiffany's, the jewel, <laughs> jewelry yes. salesman. Yes, yes, I did not realize Cracker Jacks. Which that's nice to know that they're still sell. You know, I know he's so sincere. Jacks. I know. He really lovely. It is a beautifully played performance by him. I mean, that's comedy. He's the opposite of Mickey Rooney. Absolutely. You know, less yes. is more. Yeah. And you it know, makes really. sense because um, the uh, Audrey Hep- Holly and <laughs> Holly and Paul are. Um, they go together and they're more subdued than all the character acting going on around them, which I think as it should be. And then, but then the Tiffany's guy is so grounded. Yeah, <laughs> he's he is. Like, You're at Tiffany's. <laughs> yeah, and he's nice to everybody. Like he'll, yeah, he'll, he'll yeah. humor anybody that comes up with a question. Mm-hmm. He's, like, a, he's a good salesman. When they, when they say, <laughs> yeah. uh, Paul says, uh, "Well, we have uh, limitations." <laughs> he's like, "Oh, and what would those limitations be?" And he's like, "Well, let's just say." And he gives like this roundabout answer, and he's like. Ten dollars. <laughs> and then you've had, he's like, hmm, I see. Well, I don't really know what much you could purchase for Tiffany's at ten dollars, but we'll yeah. find something. Yeah. And you know, there's he's still be, accommodating. Yeah. He's a good man. You know, there would be a salesperson who would say, "Well, get out then." You know, yeah, yeah, yeah. I don't want to deal with you because yes. that's not going to mean anything to a sale for me. But he's a really good salesman. He's like, nobody's going to buy that, like that, <laughs> that telephone, you know, pin. I love that he's like yeah. for the person who has. For the pet, he's like for the person who has everything they could want—a sterling silver top. Wonderful character. So, they should have posters of that guy, you know, in every dorm room. So funny you know. story. In 2005, um, I went on a, a little trip to New York City in the summertime, and it was fantastic. It was like an impromptu, one of my first real adult kind of trips, like on my own. Yeah. And. Um, went to New York City and I had breakfast at Tiffany's. I, bu- I bought a beautiful big, yeah. I'll just say you think, I bought a beautiful like big black hat uh, and I got coffee on the, coffee and a um, pastry on from a street vendor and got to Tiffany's like right around like, I want to say a little after seven or so in the morning when the oh, sun wow. was kind of coming yeah. And it's just, it's an amazing picture. It's one of my favorite <laughs> pictures of my, like of myself. But I had sunglasses on and a big black hat and yeah. um, just a very simple like white shirt on. And, uh, yeah, so I got to have breakfast at Tiffany's, and I went in, and I went to the count, I went to a counter, and I asked them if they had a sterling silver telephone dial, because <laughs> I'd be interested in purchasing one, mm-hmm. and they said no. <laughs> <laughs> wow, they didn't even humor you with that. No, yeah, yeah. we've they heard said this. they have not produced those in, in yeah. many, many, many years. And how did they treat you? <laughs> That was a bad experience. They were like, what? You know, they were kind of rude. You know, this was like 2005. So remember back in like the mid-2000s? Well, I mean, there there was like a resurgence of like like materialism, like superficial, like Louis Vuitton and Mm -hmm. everybody wearing the velour outfits and the Paris Hilton. And Tiffany became big again with the bangles. And Tiffany became Mm -hmm. really big again. And so it was like, uh, yeah, they're like, a what? And I was like, a a telephone dial. (laughs) 
Because I actually, I don't have any more, but when I was in college, I had like an actual old phone. And I used mm -hmm. it. Mm -hmm. I'm, well, I, I've moved since several times and I've lost it along the way, but I actually did have a, like a rodeo phone. So that I could have used that, but they did not have that. Wow. But I did go up to the third floor and I used the restroom, which <laughs> it's all marble. Mm -hmm. Nice. Can you imagine? All marble. I didn't feel like I was good enough to go in there. Is it off of Fifth Avenue? It uh, is. It's okay. on the corner of Fifth and Fifty Seven. Oh, okay. Is it far from Trump Tower? Is it? That I don't know. I, I have no interest in going. In it's there. the best telephone operator in the world. It's beautiful. You could buy it here. You know, if you're but looking for that. There is a Louis Vuitton right across the street from the Tiffany. Oh wow! Which was. Yeah, I assume I couldn't find any, like, buy anything on Fifth Avenue. <laughs> I couldn't I afford anything in either one of them. <laughs> Certainly not at that point in my life either. I was 20, 19, I was 19. Definitely could not have afforded anything there. That, that's been it. I actually lived in New York for a period of time in, like, 2000 or so, and, and that, that, that street is immaculate. Like, virtually, you can't afford anything on that street. Right. It's, <laughs> it's, 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 it's incredible. I, mean, I think I was in Tiffany's at one point. I think I, I do remember going in there. <laughs> Or maybe that was Macy's. I, <laughs> I don't know. It was, it was a huge difference. There was a parade. Uh, maybe it wasn't Tiffany's. Like, uh, I just know it was a girl's name. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. There was something going on there. It had an apostrophe S after it. I figured yeah. they're all the same. Um, so uh, the movie for me, I, I think it, it holds up fairly well. I think it's a, it's a gorgeous like almost a technicolor oriented mm -hmm. movie you said it was a little subdued but it still has that bright you know optimistic mm -hmm. tone even though it's, it's a little more satirical of a story yeah. you know the rhythms are kind of off for me i think audrey is the best part of this movie by far like i think her performance is outstanding and i like a lot of the performances by balsam and patricia neal and and buddy ebsen and and all those guys and george Bapard much better than i remembered the Mickey Rooney thing is a is a factor that's always going to haunt this movie. Uh, you know, especially as we go forward in time, it's always going to stick out like a, a sore Sabrina's thumb. Sabrina's giving her input. Yeah, she is. She likes Mickey Rooney's performance. She wants to have her <laughs> voice. Yeah. Yeah. She likes Cat. That's her favorite person. <laughs> yeah. Oh, Cat. Of course, Cat. Yeah. That's a great name, Cat. <laughs> Hi, Cat. Um, <laughs> what did she say? Um... If I ever, then I'll buy some furniture and give the cat a name. Yeah. <laughs> like that's how she'll, when she settles, that's what she'll that's do. What she's yeah. Saying. Oh, she's quirky. <laughs> she's a hipster. So she'll be, no, uh, don't ever. <laughs> <laughs> Nothing against the hipster community, I'm just saying. Yeah. Yeah. She doesn't have a label. No, she's on her own. Yeah. She's her own label. She invented yeah. Anna Kendricks. That's basically what happened with that. Like, the, 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 the actress, you know, the musical actress, the quirky. You know, what, what's I, I think she's like the Who precursor to the Anna Kendricks? Who's Anna, that? Um, she's a she's an actress. She was actress. in she um, was in a, what's that movie? Pitch a series Perfect. of movies. Pitch Perfect movies. Oh, she's the main one in Pitch Perfect. Yeah. Yes, she oh, does the cups. Okay, thing. gotcha. Yeah. Now <laughs> my did, sister loves that movie. Did you ever hear that uh, theory about the manic pixie dream girl? I think that Holly Golightly is kind of the prototype for that. It's like the characters that Natalie Portman would play, the quirky girl that would kind of save the guy the boring guy and make his life more gotcha. yeah that's <laughs> become a thing I would yeah. I would think Natalie Portman would be I don't really know much about Anna Kendrick but I definitely see the Natalie Portman yeah she'd be a good Holly Golightly if you were doing yeah. a modern take yeah. on Breakfast at Tiffany's I always thought Natalie Portman would be yeah, a good pick that. for that Please don't do it. Though. I hope no one does that though <laughs> we bleed because now we're even remaking movies that were just I don't know 
15 years ago. I know, yeah, it's crazy. And and that you would never think, oh, I could use another one of them. Yeah, Yeah, really, because that movie needs to be remade. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Don't touch Gremlins, that's all I gotta say. That's the one I wanna protect. If they start remaking, well, they did, they remade Sabrina in the 90s. Yeah. I did see that. That was one thing. Yeah. That was okay, but Brooks at Tiffany's, don't touch. Yeah. That would be controversial, I'm sure. <laughs> Scott, what are your thoughts? Uh, <laughs> I think it's, I think it's a good. Like I said, I think there's there's flaws in it, but I, I enjoy it. I think it's, a, I think Audrey's great, and it's kind of fun, and mm-hmm. the music's great, and uh, um, it doesn't really have a plot, but you just kind of enjoy it. <laughs> the dialogue's good. Scott so. likes Paul's uh, wardrobe. Yeah, Paul's uh-huh. wardrobe is just. I mean, if you don't appreciate Paul's wardrobe, then. You're not watching this. <laughs> I wouldn't be in this movie. That's what I learned about my wardrobe. I just would be on the outskirts. I'd be with Buddy Epson, like going home on the, on if the bus. If they remade this movie, I would start yeah. a hashtag. Not my movie. <laughs> not my movie. Yes. You know, I'm not going to see it. You can't force this upon me, Hollywood. No. This doesn't exist as far as I'm concerned. I can see Natalie Portman. I can see Michelle Williams. Oh, I don't. I know. I don't even like that we're talking about this though, because no. it should not be remade. <laughs> yeah. Well, the original is still out there, and like I like that. And with each podcast, the, obviously this is going to be released in, in theaters at the time we're taping this in, in a few weeks. So definitely go check it out if you can. It's a classic. Yeah. It's great to see it on a big screen. But if you can't, I would say the best place to see a film if you can't watch it on a big screen is on Blu-ray. And there was a 50th anniversary edition of Breakfast at Tiffany's that was released in, like, 2011. Uh, it looks like it has a lot of pristine double features. I don't know if you own it, Tony. I, I have not checked it out. I don't, but my birthday's coming out Yeah. Well, we know what to get you now. It's probably going to have the 55th anniversary before I buy the 50th anniversary, the way these things are re-released. But uh, it looks like it, it, it gets great marks here. So uh, if you're a fan of the movie, it would definitely be worth checking out. And I want to thank our guest today, yes, Emily Turner. Thank you so much, Emily. She was fantastic. We're intimidating people, I can understand. Uh, no, you were fantastic. Uh, do you have any uh, projects coming up that you want to promote? Or? Um, well, I did. Uh, uh, Available Light Theater um, is a professional theater group in town. You can go to their website. Um, which I don't know offhand, so just Google <laughs> Available Light Theater. But they are doing a show about Columbus called uh, Columbus Voices, and they're doing it um, all around town at community centers and libraries and the Rife Center. And it, it kind of gets people involved, which I think is important, especially now, um, to see what we can do to improve our communities and get to know each other. Um, so I wrote part of that, and I th- think they have three more performances um so excellent (laughs) that's very cool yes congratulations thanks uh and on our own like uh scott and i have been performing together regularly as the wheeler brothers so if you ever want to check us out at any shows around town and improv you can i'm also directing a show called the putts that should be released in december tony and scott are both part of that along with various other people uh, so we're looking for it's the opposite of Breakfast at Tiffany's, by the way. So I don't know if those crowds are going to really mix. Uh, I think we all like a variety of things. Yeah, we do. Yeah, we're all Definitely eclectic, do. to say the least. And also, uh, we do just want to thank our Cinema Weirte listeners. Um, wish everybody a wonderful, happy holiday season. Hope yeah. you guys had a great Thanksgiving, and um, looking forward to the holidays and the new year. And, I want to thank you guys for listening. And don't forget to follow us on Facebook and Twitter um, if you like what you hear. 
uh, we'd love to have your feedback. You know, give us a rating. Absolutely. Yeah. Especially on Twitter, you can we can rant for you if you'd like. Like, because <laughs> that's what people do on Twitter now is they rant. So we could always do that, you know, just that in. Or we could talk nicely because we do that too. <laughs> yeah, we do. Yeah. We could do that as well. <laughs> and you can like us on Facebook as well. And also follow us on Podbean and mm-hmm. iTunes. That's the biggest thing. Yeah. And rate us and give mm-hmm. us a, a terrific okay. rating. And like, I like to have a Tony. Thank you for all for listening to yeah. us. We, yeah. we do this for fun. Thank so you. it's. Mm-hmm. Good. Uh, to yeah. Know. If if you'd ever, if you are interested in being a guest, you know, message us. We yeah. love to. We love meeting new people and having good conversation. And we don't mind turning you down. So. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> we don't say anything. Come, happen. come to us, and we're gonna shoot you down immediately. <laughs> we'll get a response. Oh, uh, not gonna happen. Thank you, though. <laughs> well, on that note, thank you very much for everyone listening, and uh, see you next time. Bye. Bye. place that made me feel like Tiffany's, then... Then I'd buy some furniture and give the cat a name.